I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. and welcome to the seventh episode of the HR Coffee Time podcast. Today I'm going to be focusing on helping you get a handle on your workload when you just feel like you don't have enough hours in the day to get everything done. Because I know that HR is a busy role at the best of times, but since the pandemic struck, it's gone completely insane. And I know that you've probably been absolutely swamped with work. So I hope that a lot of what I share today will help you to take back some control, find some time for yourself and stop work from taking over your life completely. If we haven't met before, I'm Faye Wallace. I'm the host of the HR Coffee Time podcast and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. I'm a career coach and an outplacement specialist with a background in HR and I made this podcast especially for you to help you have a successful and fulfilling career without working yourself into the ground. If you're listening to this and you're one of the people who have recently rated and reviewed the show for me, I'd like to say a huge heartfelt thank you. All the reviews encourage Apple to show the podcast to people who haven't heard of it before, so I really do appreciate your support. So, ideally, you want to feel like you're running your days instead of your days running you. When coaching clients come to me for help because they're drowning in work, often their days are running them. They're dashing from meeting to meeting, they're quickly replying to emails in between those meetings and wondering how on earth they're going to get all the work done that is being passed on to them during the meetings. And that's combined with people coming by and asking them for help unexpectedly or emergencies cropping up and them feeling that they have to firefight. 
So they end each day feeling like they've barely kept their head above water and then they'll often find themselves logging on to work to catch up once their kids are in bed or otherwise they'll start trying to catch up at the weekends. So getting any sort of control over their days can start to feel like a dream and something that might only happen in a fairy tale. If any of this resonates with you at all or feels remotely familiar, this episode is here to help. Now, one thing I've learned over the years from testing out time management and productivity techniques and helping other people get some balance back in their lives is that, as with most things, there isn't any one-size-fits-all magic solution to all of this. If there was, we'd all be using it, none of us would ever feel overwhelmed or too busy, and we'd just sail through our days stress-free. Instead, what I've learned from coaching lots of clients who have had insanely busy workloads is that each of us has our own personal stumbling blocks when it comes to managing our time and work. So although it can be helpful to know about some time management techniques, it's really by uncovering what our own blocks are that we're truly able to get on top of things finally. And I'm going to talk you through four of the most common blocks that I've noticed coming up for my clients. And these four things are people pleasing, being overly ambitious with time, needing accountability, and finding it difficult to let go. Obviously, there are lots of other ones that could come up as well, but these are the ones that I seem to see coming up again and again and again. So let's start off with people pleasing. I'm really lucky that my coaching clients tend to be very nice people who care about the people that they work with. And although this is a wonderful quality, as with all strengths, there's a flip side to it, which is that it can leave them not wanting to say no to requests to help or to take on extra work. And in fact, there may be times where they'll actually volunteer to take on more work without even being asked because they're so keen to help other people. And I completely understand how this happens. After all, most of us want to be liked. None of us wants to be the miserable grump stomping around the office who everyone tries to avoid. We don't want to seem cold and aloof or terrifying or unapproachable. But if you're nodding along to what I'm saying and thinking, yes, Faye, you're right, I don't want to seem like a horrible person. I'd like to challenge you for a moment and ask you a coaching question, which is, Is it true that if you pushed back or said no to requests when you're already swamped, that people would see you as miserable, grouchy, cold or aloof? I'm guessing your answer to this is probably going to be no. In which case, I'd ask you to think of how you can say no in a way that feels right for you. I had one client who was constantly being asked to produce work for the CEO at the last minute, and she felt she had to say yes straight away, which meant she was having to work crazy hours a lot of the time. And when I asked her how she could push back in a way that felt comfortable for her, she decided that she'd try saying, of course I can do that for you. I have some free time on X day, so I can get it over to you by then. And a fairly well-known strategy for handling these sorts of work requests whether they're coming in at the last minute or they just mean that you're being given too much work to do, is to say something along the lines of, 
That seems really interesting and of course I'm happy to help. I'm working on X, Y and Z at the moment, so I won't be able to get all of these things completed on time if I take on this work as well. Would you like me to pause work on X, Y or Z or can this piece of work be tackled at a later date? I know so many people who have used this successfully and the person they report into, whether it's a manager, a director or even the CEO, is often helped because this pushback gives them a chance to reassess their priorities and not risk veering off track with important projects. But if these pushing back examples aren't helping you, Another question I'd like you to think of is if you know someone who seems calm and collected on top of their workload and who is still a nice person to work with. It might take a bit of thinking about, but I wouldn't be surprised if you're able to think of someone who you respect and who seems to have their workload under control, even though you know they're in a challenging role. So once you've thought of that person, can you spend some time figuring out what things they're doing differently to you. And if it's not immediately obvious how they're pulling this off, can you have a chat with them and ask them how they do it? You might be really surprised to hear some of their strategies and you can try them out and see if they're going to be useful for you. But again, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I hear what you're saying, Faye, but you do not understand. I just couldn't bear to let other people down. I have another challenge for you. I'd like you to consider the fact that when you say yes to someone or something, it means you're saying no to something else. And I'd like you to take some time to write down the things that are most important to you in your life. Take some time after you've listened to this episode and just sit quietly with a pen and paper and jot them down. Or otherwise, just pause this episode for a moment and quickly do it now. That's probably even better because you know what it's like. Otherwise, you listen to the podcast and think, oh, yes, I must get round to that later. And then later never comes because you're too busy. So when you're sitting down with your pen and paper, try not to overthink this or write stuff down because you think they seem impressive or you think they're things that should feel important to you. Write down what is truly important to you. And I tried this out the other day and I can share my list with you in case it's going to help you with yours. So the things that I came up with that are most important to me are spending time with my family, learning, making progress and helping others achieve their goals. If you have a longer list than me, that's absolutely fine, but try to whittle your list down to the top seven things at the most that are important to you. And then I want you to put them in order of importance. Now I know that that can feel quite hard because everything on your list will feel really important and everything might feel equally important, but it's definitely worth doing this. You can ask yourself the question, how would I feel if I took this one thing away from my list? And that can be really powerful at helping you to order it properly. So when I tried to order my list, I realised that although I really wouldn't be happy about it, I could live with taking away learning, taking away making progress, and I could even live with taking away helping others achieve their goals. I really wouldn't be happy about it, but I could live with it as long as I was able to spend time with my family. So that made me realise 
that actually having that quality time with my family is the top thing on my list. But when you do your list, you might find something else is at the top there. Because if I took away that time with my family, for me personally, all the other things on the list would just lose their shine and I don't think I'd find them as rewarding as I do. But because I enjoy learning, making progress and helping others, it's really easy for me to say yes to opportunities that come my way. So I could easily say yes to doing coaching work several evenings a week, or I could say yes to doing another type of coaching training, I love training, <laughs> that might seem really interesting and that I know will add to my learning. But if I stop for a moment when thinking about whether to say yes to these things, I'll realise that by saying yes to working every night of the week, or if I say yes to doing another coaching course when I'm in the middle of a really busy period of work, I'm actually saying no to spending time with my family. I'm saying no to the very thing that I placed at the top of my list. Now, your list will probably be completely different to mine. You might find that you're saying yes and no to very different things, but I'd encourage you to give this exercise a try and see how you get on with it. It can be a powerful thing to realise that saying yes always involves saying no to something else. And recognising that gives you the opportunity to assess each thing you say yes to more carefully. And it can also help to just get rid of some of the guilt you may experience when you normally say no to someone else. Now, let's move on to the next stumbling block that I see people bump up against. And this is being overly ambitious with your time. It's something that I struggle with as well and I have to work quite hard to keep a handle on it. And I've noticed that if you combine being overly ambitious with your time with people pleasing, this can be a lethal combination and you might find yourself heading towards burnout if you're not careful. So please, 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 if any of these things sound familiar, try putting some things in place to overcome them. But what do I mean by being overly ambitious with your time? If you're passionate about your work, you believe in progress and wanting to make a difference, you probably have lots of ideas for doing things better at work or loads of ideas for new initiatives that you'd like to launch. Perhaps you start the year with ambitious plans to overhaul a performance management system, install a new HRIS system, or perhaps to streamline your recruitment process. But you'd also like to develop and launch a new diversity, equality and inclusion initiative. You want to introduce a new career pathway structure, and you'd also like to focus on improving the company's approach to well-being. Now, at the beginning of the year, this may feel totally doable. You don't plan it all into your calendar meticulously because you're excited about the impact all this work will have. You believe in your team, so it truly feels like you have plenty of time to get it done. But as the year progresses, you seem to be constantly firefighting. And that's combined with the fact that your boss, whether that's the MD, the CEO, the HR director, whoever they are, they seem to have their own ideas as to what you should be focusing on. And they might start dropping other projects into your lap that you just hadn't seen coming. 
and then maybe one of your colleagues goes off work with an illness or they just leave and you don't fill the vacancy straight away and suddenly your goals start to feel terrifying rather than exciting. You're left asking yourself how on earth you're going to get any of them done, let alone just one of them. And the danger is that work can start creeping into your evenings, into your weekends, and you start wondering whether getting up at 4am would be a good solution because that might let you get on top of everything. And you're left feeling guilty that you don't have enough time for your family or friends and that you haven't hit the work goals you set yourself even though you're working this hard. So you just feel like you're not doing a good enough job on any front. So if any of that resonates with you at all and you can identify with any of it, what has happened is that you've been overly ambitious with your time. The projects and goals have felt doable, but without assessing your time and planning them in properly, there's actually really little hope of you getting through them without putting in an insane number of hours while you juggle everything else or putting yourself under huge pressure. And this is where some time management techniques might be a good idea to explore. But as I'm always banging on about, it's important not to get disheartened if one of them doesn't work. If you haven't listened to the first episode of this podcast, I'd really encourage you to do that now because in it, I talk about the importance and the power of having a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. And what that essentially means is that it's okay if things don't work out as you expect them to. Life is a learning process. Failure isn't really failure. In fact, I almost think that word should just be banned. It's a learning opportunity that you can use for testing ideas and techniques until you find what does work for you. So if being ambitious with your time is one of your stumbling blocks, let's explore some techniques. And I'll throw in some coaching questions as well that you might find useful to try out. There's a time management and leadership expert called Michael Hyatt, who has a great saying, which is what gets scheduled gets done. Now, most of us are used to using Outlook for keeping on top of meetings, but we may not book in time in our Outlook calendar for working on specific projects. So it really is a good idea to sit down with your calendar, take a look at it and start blocking out sections to work on your projects. You also need to make sure you've blocked out time for dealing with admin, emails, and give yourself some buffer time for emergencies and firefighting. Otherwise, you might find yourself falling down because you think to yourself, oh yes, I can squeeze in my emails and admin and other boring stuff in between meetings, but hoping you can get them done in the tiny cracks of time that you have left isn't a strong enough strategy. And I know from lots of personal experience of this that it just doesn't tend to work. But if you're looking at your calendar and you think, but what are you talking about? I've got back-to-back stuff booked in here for weeks, then don't worry, it just might be that you can't start planning your time for a few weeks yet. But the weeks until you hit that point are going to go by really quickly. Progress is progress. It doesn't matter if you can't suddenly plan out your calendar brilliantly from tomorrow later on is going to be good enough. So please don't overly worry about that. And when you've put these blocks in your diary, you can move them around. If you're lucky and no firefighting or emergency issues crop up during the day, then 
brilliant. You've got that block of time ready to use on something else. Or if an issue comes up when you've dedicated some time for project work, that's okay. Just swap the time blocks you've given yourself around in your calendar. But if you're listening to this with a wry smile on your face thinking, Faye is clearly on another planet, this will never work for me, my diary is packed with back-to-back meetings, I promise I completely understand how you're feeling, but I am going to challenge you with some coaching questions. Firstly, I'm going to ask you to take a look at your calendar for the next four weeks and consider all of the meetings that are booked in there. Then I'm going to ask you, how many of these meetings do you really need to be at? And please remember what I said about the first blocker, which is people pleasing. Are you going to any of these meetings to try to keep other people happy, but you don't actually really need to be there yourself? Is there someone else on your team who would actually love the opportunity to go as it's going to help them with their development and who you could potentially send in your place? Or can you speak to the person running the meeting and let them know that you don't need to be there anymore so you're not going to be attending anymore? Another question about the meetings I'd like to ask you is, do they have to be as long as they have been scheduled for? Or do you need to be having them as often as they're put in your calendar for. And whenever I ask a client these questions, they often say no, especially when it comes to meeting lengths. They realize that actually meetings are an hour long because traditionally that's the length they've always been. And if that's the case, well, can you just consider trimming them back to 30 minutes? Or if that feels too much of a stretch, can they just be 45 minutes long? If you're not the arranger of the meeting, can you go and discuss the timing with them and suggest shortening it? So many people book one hour meetings out of habit, but then they're actually relieved when they realize they can get 15 minutes back for other work. And those 15 minute blocks soon add up, meaning you can start to free up quite a lot of time if you can start making changes to lots of the meetings. But I know that it can be tempting to avoid looking at your calendar to plan everything out because it just feels too daunting or because you have a feeling that there is no way you're going to be able to fit everything into it. And if that's how you're feeling, you might find the idea of a to-don't list liberating. Now, I first learned about this from my own coach, Jackie Jagger. I love her name. I think that sounds like a film star, Jackie Jagger. So you'll find that most coaches, most coaches who really believe in coaching, have their own coaches. So we often have a coach for ourselves to help us keep developing and growing and moving forward. And I'm very grateful to Jackie for sharing this technique with me. So thank you, Jackie, if you're listening to this episode. And let me explain what a to-don't list is. We all know what a to-do list is, and some of us may even love them. I myself am very partial to having a list. In fact, I've got lists all over the house. There's a list on the fridge to remind me what to order for the food shopping. I've got a list on my desk of the home admin I need to get done, but I'm usually putting off because it's so boring. And that sits next to a list of all my work things that I need to get through. I've got lists in the notes section of my phone with ideas for the podcast. I seem to have lists everywhere. But if I'm ever feeling 
a little bit overwhelmed and thinking, oh gosh, have I remembered everything? I can find it helpful to sit down and write out a giant to-do list to get all of the tasks I know I need to get done out of my head and written down on paper. And I know this can be a great technique for lots of people. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed and like you're not in control of everything and you might be dropping the ball, perhaps you're waking up in the middle of the night thinking, oh gosh, have I done everything? It might be a good idea to just write down one of those giant to-do lists. But the downsides of having a giant to-do list like that is that it can then feel daunting seeing just how much there is to do or there can be a temptation to do all the quickest and easiest stuff first, just so that you can have that lovely satisfying feeling of ticking stuff off of your list. So if you do have a big to-do list like this, try reading through it and working out what can be moved onto your to-don't list. So your to-don't list is there, ready to look after all those things, capture that information of things you want to get done, but that aren't urgent and don't need to be done right now. Because moving something onto the to-don't list doesn't mean you're never going to get it done or that it's completely unimportant, but it just means that you don't have to do it right now. Because often we fall down at work because we're trying to do too much at once. And so that means that all the progress we'd like to be making on all of these different things ends up slowing right down and you find that you're just not getting anything finished. And actually, you'd be much better off prioritising and focusing on just one or two projects at a time. Getting them done, ticking them off your to-do list so that you've freed up some space on there. And then when you have got it done and you've freed up some space, you're ready to move something across from your to-don't list. So at that point, you can revisit your to-don't list, look at it and think, okay, do I want to move something across now? And it can be a strangely powerful thing using a to-don't list because once you've written everything down, it's all out of your head, you've split it into those two lists. So you've got your to-do list that is now a shorter version of what it was before and you've got your to-don't list. It's as if your brain thinks, oh, everything's okay now. Even though you're not working on everything that ideally you'd like to be, because you've got it written down somewhere, your brain just feels safe and trusts <laughs> that you're not going to forget it. And I think that that's what some of that anxiety about waking up in the middle of the night can be, this fear that you're going to forget stuff or that you're gonna drop the ball on something. If you've never had a to-don't list, why don't you give it a try and see what you think. But if you've realised you need to get a better handle on your time management before, and you've tried out some of the different techniques like the ones that I've just mentioned and they didn't work, I think it might be worth considering, are you someone who thrives on accountability and deadlines? Now, I personally have a bit of a strange love-hate relationship with deadlines. I know that I need to put deadlines on things to get large projects done, but I don't really like setting them because then they make me feel like I'm under pressure. But without them, I can easily talk myself into thinking, oh yes, I'll get round to doing that new course I'd like to create later. And then before I know it, if I haven't set myself a deadline, a whole year has gone by and I haven't done it. But I've also found that setting myself deadlines doesn't work if I don't also have some accountability to make me achieve those deadlines. 
Without building in accountability, the deadlines feel meaningless and they can feel very movable. So I don't hit it, oh, that's okay, I'll just move off into the distance somewhere. Now, when I started weaving accountability into my whole life, so into my work and uh, into my life outside of work, it's really made a huge difference. I've never struggled on completing things that I want to get done if someone else is relying on me or if someone else has set that deadline for me. Where I can struggle is if there's stuff that I really, really want to get done, but no one's really relying on it. It's, it's like a personal project that I know is a good idea. And for example, when I knew that I wanted to start this podcast, I also knew that I could end up dreaming about it and tinkering away on plans for it for years if I didn't build in some accountability. So I made sure that I mentioned it to nearly everyone I spoke to over a period of a few weeks. Any catch up with a friend when they said, oh, hi, Faye, how are things? I'd reply with, I've decided to start a podcast. And the more people I told, even though it felt a bit weird constantly talking about it, it then meant that I started to feel this feeling, this need that, oh gosh, I, I started telling everyone this now, I'd actually better crack on and start doing it. Then as the next step, when I did start getting everything in place to launch the podcast, I then cranked up the level of accountability even more by telling people the date it was going to launch. And then it meant I had told so many people, in fact, I even publicly announced it on LinkedIn, that there was no way I wasn't going to do it. It suddenly wasn't a deadline that I could move. It was one that I was really committed to. So if building an accountability could be something that could potentially help you, you might find it helpful to tell your colleagues or your boss or people from another team at work about your plans to help you see through the projects that are most important to you. And one other accountability method that you might find helpful in sticking to your shiny new, highly organized calendar is by having an accountability buddy to do your work with. So is there someone at work that you can agree to hold each other accountable for certain tasks? Or if there isn't, or you don't really like that idea, then you could take a look at trying out a brilliant and simple free tool called Focusmate. I absolutely swear by Focusmate, and it's how I created my LinkedIn course earlier on this year. I don't think I could have got it done without using it because I created the course when I had a lot of other work on, so I had to be incredibly strict about timings and sticking to the time that I'd carved out in my calendar for creating the course. So if you haven't heard of Focusmate before, it's a really simple tool and it's completely free if you want to use it up to three times a week. Beyond that, there's a paid plan, but I've only ever used the free version. And what happens is you just go onto the Focusmate website and on there you'll see a calendar. You choose what day and what time you want to have some uninterrupted time to focus on a particular task for work. You then click on the button to say that's the time that you would like to be doing your work and Focusmates will automatically match you with someone else somewhere else in the world who also wants to use that exact time slot to do some dedicated work. You then both just click on a link at the time that your call is going to take place. The screen opens up, it looks very similar to a Zoom call or a Teams call, any sort of video call really. 
and you'll see there's someone else there on the screen who you've been matched with. And it's quite good because there's someone completely random, it's not someone who you know. What I've found if I've tried to do accountability sessions with people I know is that there's a big danger you end up just chatting and having a really nice catch up. <laughs> Whereas th with this, because you don't know the other person and you're not expected to get to know the other person, you're much more likely to just crack on. So you start off by saying, hi, today in this time I would like to focus on, and you tell the person what it is you're going to be working on. The person will then tell you what they're going to be working on. You then both mute yourselves so that you don't make any noise that the other person can hear, but you leave your video camera on. And that means that you've got someone watching over your shoulder and seeing if you decide to get up or pick up the phone or go and make a cup of coffee. They can, they can see what's going on. I mean, in reality, I actually really don't watch the other person at all because I'm totally focused on what I'm doing. But just the idea that they're there helps keep you on track. All the Focusmate sessions are 50 minutes long, so just under an hour, which I think also makes them quite doable. And at the very end of the session, you'll hear a chime sound to let you know that it's finished. You unmute yourself again, and you ask the other person how they got on. So you'll just say, so how did you get on with that task that you wanted to do? They'll tell you, and then they'll ask you how you got on. And there is just something strangely powerful about knowing you have to report back at the end of the session. You just don't want to say, oh yes, I actually didn't do any of it. Instead, I went and ate a chocolate bar, or called my friend, or let myself get dragged into a meeting. So I know it sounds a bit weird. When I first tell people about this, they'll look at me as if um, I've gone slightly mad, but I promise it really can work. So it's something just to think about giving a try especially because I've seen some of my clients plan out their calendars, but then end up using the chunks of time that they've carved out to work on a certain project, to catch up with emails instead, or to work on something completely different. I've also seen them build in some accountability to stop them from doing this, and using Focusmate or arranging accountability sessions with a friend or colleague has been a really effective solution for them. However, <laughs> I must give you a word of warning with this. So one word of warning that I have about accountability is that you have to make sure you've built in enough time to hit the goals that you've told people about and ask them to hold you accountable to. So make sure that you've considered the people-pleasing and the being ambitious with time derailers that I've already mentioned you don't want to end up burning out because you're making yourself hit a goal without having cleared some of your workloads or reprioritized some of your calendar. And I'm aware that I've been talking for quite a while now, so I'll try to wrap up this final point quickly. I did think about leaving it out, but it's such an important one that I couldn't bring myself to cut it out completely. So the fourth blocker that I see a lot of people come up against in tackling a horrendously busy workload is not being able to let go, which means that they carry on engaging in activities that they don't need to be doing. And this can happen a lot when someone is recently promoted. They're so used to doing the work of the role that they used to be in before the promotion that they keep on doing a lot of it even if someone else has been hired in to do it because it feels safe and they trust themselves to do the work well more than they trust the new person who's been hired. And 
as you can imagine, or as you may have experienced yourself, this leads to trying to do two jobs at once, and it can be really disempowering for the person you've hired. It also really puts a limit on your own progression if you fall into this trap, because if you're trying to do two jobs at once, it's really unlikely you're then going to make the next step into the next more senior role, if that is where you'd like to be headed. And this inability to let go can flag up in other ways as well. So for example, I had one coaching client who told me that she realised she had become Mrs Google. That's how she described herself. Because lots of her time was being taken up with her team asking her questions. And this whole idea of finding it difficult to let go, often it's because we get a warm feeling from the activity that we're doing or it gives us a real sense of reward. So in her instance, she really liked the fact that people came to her for help and advice. But she did also realise that it meant that people in her team were so reliant on her that it was just sucking away her time. And also it was stopping them from feeling confident in making their own decisions. So she decided to take a coaching approach, which was to ask them what they thought the answer was when they came to her with a question. And she found that often they would know. <laughs> they just actually really wanted her approval. Or if they didn't know the answer, she would then ask them how they could figure it out for themselves. And again, if they didn't know the answer, they would almost always be able to figure out a way of then finding it out for themselves. And this all meant that she found herself with so much more time freed up. Plus, she had a much more confident team that she was leading. So it really did end up being a win-win situation. So hopefully this all shows that it is well worth taking a look at how you're spending your time each day. Are you focused on the tasks that you need to be? Are you just crazily firefighting? Or are you doing things that you could push back on or things that you could empower others to do and hand over to them? And as we approach the end of this episode, I think it's really important to point out that if you're struggling with your workload, you're not alone. Although HR can be an incredibly busy role, particularly at the moment, I've noticed that often it isn't just HR, it's not just us. I know I, I don't technically work in HR anymore, but I, I still count it as an us <laughs> who has a challenging amount of work. But actually, I've spotted, well, and you've probably seen this as well, but often this culture has emerged in the organisation that you're working for, where many other people, if not perhaps everyone, has started to work for longer and longer hours and stress levels have just been ramping up to a point where they're consistently high. And of course, one of the rewarding aspects of working in HR, it's certainly one of the things that I thought was really rewarding about it, is being able to make a difference to the lives of the people that you work with and also to the culture of the organisation that you're in. So, if you've been listening to this and thinking, oh gosh, hopefully this is going to help me to get a handle on my workload, please do also think, actually, are there things you could be putting in place or are there things you could be consulting about with everyone for improving the environment for everyone at work? And to give you some examples to help just bring this idea to life a little bit, 
one of my clients recently introduced a wellbeing hour every day for the entire head office. And she managed to get buy-in from the senior leadership team with this, which was fantastic because it really meant that it was being modeled from the top. It means that now everyone has a one hour slot booked out of their calendar and they can use this time for whatever they want, but they're encouraged to do something to support their well-being, whether that means going on a walk, reading a book, or trying out an exercise class. The expectation, which everyone seems to have stuck to brilliantly, is that no internal meetings or calls can be booked during that well-being hour. And of course, some people may choose to use that time to catch up on emails, but as far as I can see, anything that you can put in place that's going to reduce the amount of time spent in meetings or on calls or where people are feeling pressured can only be a positive thing. Another example that I've heard of, but that I don't think I've had a, a client in particular implement is when organizations introduce core working hours. So that might mean that the core working hours are something like 10 a.m. till three in the afternoon, but that everyone's start and finish times can be flexible around this as long as they're hitting their working hours. And what is normally put in place is an understanding that meetings and calls aren't encouraged to take place before or after those core hours, which again can be a great way of just giving people a bit of breathing space in their diaries to really get on top of their workload and to also have some dedicated time to crack on with the things that are important for them with their careers and their jobs. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. I really hope it's given you some helpful ideas for getting on top of your workload. And of course, if you'd like more support with this or with any other aspect of your career, I'm always here. So you can always reach me through my website, which is brightskycareercoaching.co.uk or by messaging me through LinkedIn. And if you enjoyed today's podcast episode, please do subscribe to the show so that you're automatically notified when new episodes are released. And it would also be wonderful if you're happy to rate and review the show for me. It always has a really big impact. So thank you so much in advance if you do decide to do that. So take care, have a great week, and I'll be back again next week.